Welcome back to another episode of The 10th Muse. I'm Helena. And I'm Siobhan. And this is the podcast where we talk about a unique collection of women through history that have done pretty amazing things. Yep, that's right. So from artists to activists, scientists to singers, these are not the women you already know. Instead, they're women that we think deserve more recognition and we hope that you enjoy hearing about them as much as we do. I went um, first the first week we were back. Then so probably, it's... yeah, then it was probably me. So it's probably your turn. Um, yeah. Where is it? Updated a long time ago. Valerie Thomas, yeah, she was mine. So I went first last time. Yeah. Uh, so it's your turn. Yeah, um, have you been doing anything interesting this week to catch up listeners at all? Um, no, nothing interesting has been happening. Um, we watched um, like all three seasons of Fargo that's on Netflix. Oh, I haven't watched Fargo. Oh my god, I wanted to watch it. <laughs> it was really, really good. I see it. That's, good. So that's our big to watch this week. Um, the first season cool. was brilliant. It's got Martin Freeman in it, Billy Bob Thornton, um, and there's a woman in it um, who plays like the main detective, who is also a detective, or she's like, I think she's the one who runs for commissioner against Ray Holt in Brooklyn Nine Nine, the the young woman. Ah, uh, okay. But she's she's really good. <laughs> it was fantastic. It's. I think it's directed by the Coen brothers or like it was based on the film which is directed by the Coen brothers I, I'm not entirely sure they might both be by the yeah. Coen you know what I'm gonna check that because... <laughs> I haven't watched that yet but that's one of those ones that um I've heard about so much and I just haven't watched it and yeah. um I don't know necessarily what happens in it but it's been talked about on like my favorite murder a whole bunch like they've recommended it loads and I just haven't it's never I've never gotten around to watching it maybe I need to watch it this week then yeah do, 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 do. it'll probably say on IMDB isn't it does it say who's the right to buy massive cast over the like four I think there's four series there's one that was just released like last year mm. um and there's like 422 people listed in the cast list it's mental oh some of it was filmed in calgary oh see it's after my own heart i need to watch this yeah it's set in minnesota i'm gonna have to um, watch it and see if i can spot any calgary land like sites yeah. like, that's this place right i'm just gonna type in fargo series director uh primarily written by noah hawley show was inspired by the 1996 film by the coen brothers so yeah um so it's set in yes inspired by the film by the coen brothers so it's set in minnesota and each series follows a different kind of string of murders um so series one is set in 2006 series two goes backwards and is set in like 1970 like mid 1970s and then three jumps forwards to 2010 and then I don't know when season four was set because um, I've not seen that one yet. Um, but it's like has an amazing cast. Like you would never, you just see people and you're like, oh my God, that's that person. Like Ted Danson's in it. Um, oh my in God. Season two, Billy Bob Thornton, Martin Freeman. Um, in season three, you've got Ewan McGregor and David Thewlis, which is mental. Wow. Yeah. I think Ben Wishaw is in season four as well as Chris Rock. 
um, Jesse Buckley, like all massive, massive cast lists. Oh, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst is in season two with Patrick Wilson and Ted oh, okay. Danson. It's, I'll have amazing. to watch this. This is yeah. sounds yeah. I'm gonna start it. I'm literally gonna start it like maybe tomorrow, and I'll feedback on <laughs> my next yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was like for sure. the first season is just. I think that's my favorite because it was just like so like straight out of the gate, so crazy. Like, mm. you, oh my god, it's just mental in the best way possible. And like, I don't want to give. I don't want to give anything away. But it's like. <laughs> You just sat there like, how is this happening? <laughs> um, I was going to say, we're going to have to bleep you like in our last episode, I had to bleep you. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I, it really made me laugh. I was like, I can't cut this out because it's going to make me no sense. So I'm just going to bleep it. Yeah. Just bleep any spoilers. Yeah. I'm going to really try hard not to spoil. I think the first <laughs> is my favourite because it's more personal, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, people who have watched it, whereas season three since season three was my least favorite despite okay. the fact that I love Ewan McGregor he's in my favorite film of all time which is Moulin Rouge so yeah season three is kind of more big scale about like big companies and fraud whereas mm-hmm. it's more personal in season one and then season two is set in the 70s so you have great like costumes and stuff so that's what I've been watching and now I have a bit of a Fargo shaped hole in my <laughs> watching oh no we tried to watch some other things but i'm just not quite hooked by anything yet um, and then i've also started reading a cool book called the murmur of bees by sofia segovia and it's set in mexico in like the early i think it's like 1910 or something like that um okay. i'm not very far into it but I really like the way it's written so far. It's like quite short chapters and it jumps around a bit to begin with. So I was kind of a bit confused sometimes, but mm-hmm. I get it now. And I think that the kind of main story centers around a boy who was found by this really, really old woman who has like nursed a lot of the people in this town. Um, and the boy is covered in a blanket of bees and they don't sting him or anything. And the boy has um, like a cleft lip. And I think it's about like how he kind of fits in with the family. I'm not really sure much more than that. But like the descriptions of like Mexico and the trees and like, um, what else are they? they say? Oh, he like kind of can talk to the bees, this little boy, when he's really young. Okay. Or they like talk to him. And it's just a really, really nice description of how they like, kind of communicate with him and he's like he's he's looking around him and he's going why can't other people hear these bees and it's like it's really interesting so I'm, I'm really excited to keep reading it so nice that's, that's what I've been kind of watching and listening watching and reading even what about you cool. what have you been what's been interesting what? um I'm trying to think I well so I like obviously subscribe to like bloody everything streaming platform going and they've just are you dropped, subscribed like, a whole... to movie by any chance no i'm not actually i have to say i keep seeing adverts for that and i was like it's, it looks really good because they have lots of kind of like art house films on it and i really mm. want to have a look into it no i'm not i'm not subscribed to that i'm gonna um me and alicia we're gonna get a subscription soon maybe for like national theater live and watch some stuff on there because you yeah. can pay like per play or like pay per month and yeah. like 
if you're gonna do more than like two plays a month then it's worth it so we said we might like try and do it for a couple of months to see if it's worth yeah. it because there's a few things on there that we really want to watch um like angels I've, in america's on there which i've never seen before yeah really i've just seen um, their screening um the romeo and juliet with yes with jesse buckley and josh o'connor who yeah. plays prince charles in um mm. the crown um, yeah i know that's going to be on sky on, first yeah on the fourth of yeah. april i think it is yeah which is very exciting yeah. Mm-hmm. so I think we're gonna maybe do that but I because um I have Disney plus they just dropped like a whole load of stuff on yesterday the day before um yeah. on that star thing and I was a bit like what is this and also I was it's so savvy of them and I hate I hate it so much because I've literally been roped in by it by whichever marketing exec came up with this but I was debating cancelling my subscription because it's due up next month and then they've obviously timed this this is the reason why they've done it but like everything's on there like all these random films you have to like now say that you're over 18 to access that because it's like there's like horror films on there that's like all sorts um so i've watched there's a couple episodes of this show called solar opposites which is like made by the people who make rick and morty that's like aliens who've like crash landed on earth or something it's like very easy watch so i watched some of that um i'm trying to think See, me and Alicia have just been still in like One Tree Hill mode. Uh, for anyone keeping track, we're now on season five, so <laughs> we're powered through. Um, we're only going as far as season six, and then we're, when that oh, yeah, series okay. finishes, we're going to stop. We're, yeah, because in my opinion, that's where it should have ended. So I'm not putting her through uh, the three seasons after that where it goes to crap. We're going to stop at the end of season six. So we're nearly there. Um, and then we're going to watch The L Word because I'm a bad gay and have never watched all of The L Word. And Alicia hates that so that's our next watch I've um, not seen it yeah well I it's I think it's just such a like culty kind of like lesbian thing I don't think it is like a really massive generally um we've watched a couple episodes of it and it's so cringe but she says I'll get into it so I'm like okay I'll watch okay. it um but yeah other than that I'm trying to th- I'm sure I had something to speak to you about and I can't maybe it was the national theatre thing I don't think I've started watching anything else. There's a couple like documentary series that have just come out on Netflix that I want to watch, like the one about the Cecil Hotel. I want to watch that one. I started to watch um, that. That was one of the ones yeah. that I was just like wasn't that gripped by. Although my sister watched it and she See, really the thing liked it. is, the case it's based on, the Eliza Lamb case, is like one of the only like, I'm into true crime, like I like listen to all these different podcasts, like watch all these different shows. But that's the one case that like, really freaks me out. It really like creeps me out. Like there's a BuzzFeed Unsolved about it that I can't watch because the mm. footage of her in the lift like really freaks me out. Because uh, I yeah, think I watched the footage. Oh, that's it creeps me out big time. And I think it's because it's either as simple as like, I'm sure it came out that she was, she was mentally ill in some way and she wasn't on her meds or something. So it's either as simple as she's not on her meds and she's like freaking out or someone's there and we can't see them on the footage mm. and it like it just freaks me out and I think it was because it like I watched that the BuzzFeed Unsolved on it when I was in Calgary and those the halls I was staying in were like always kind of really empty and I used to have to get this lift like down to get out the building into like the tunnels where I'd like walk and they were always dead quiet it's just everything was really creepy about it and the footage creepy. freaked me out so much at the time and so I think like I want to watch the series but I don't know if I'm gonna be able to watch the series but yeah, yeah, other than that, I've got about four books on the go. I need to just sit and finish them. I've start, well, I started The Hobbit, haven't I? Oh, yeah. Uh, 
What do you think? On my so good so far, really easy read. I'm yeah, enjoying it. It's, it is really easy. Dead yeah, easy. Yeah. I think once I've read that, I want to read the actual Lord of the Rings books as well. So I'm just trying to get through the Hobbit currently. Uh, but then on my Kindle a few weeks ago, I started um, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson because I like the oh, show so cool. much. So I thought I'll try the book. So I've started that one. That's from like the 50s. And it's like, again, really written really well. And it's like one of the best horror books like I've ever read. It actually is creepy and like very psychological. And one of the characters in it is like blatantly gay, like she is in the show. But because it's been written in the 50s it's kind of not said explicitly but it's I read an article on it and it was like Shirley Jackson wanted it to be explicit but obviously at the time it couldn't be yeah I've just got like a few books on the go and I need to like sit and finish them <laughs> like and just actually like commit to one mm. um but yeah other than that I haven't really been up to much I've got this new announcement from lockdown means I might be back at work within about a couple months but yeah other than that, interesting interesting stuff interesting I'm I'm obviously very excited for June the 21st I'm going to be straight in those clubs Eleanor will be in a club I'll be in mm, I don't know I'm so torn on the whole thing yeah I know like realistically I probably won't be in a club by 21st and like my I was talking to my friend Sarah last night and she said like what are the chances that we're all going to be vaccinated by then and like to have yeah potentially unvaccinated people in clubs mm, I'm not keen on that <laughs> I know but I just want a pint <laughs> like even oh, just going to a pub pubs. like as a pubs will be fine like, yeah but a bar yeah a bar might be a situation like even gigs I like just want to be at a gig so badly but at the same time I'm not in a rush to be in that sort of atmosphere and I think it totally depends on how they set things like that up that yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes but I mean I'd love because also like with us probably moving in summer it's like I want to see at least a few gigs in Manchester while I actually live in Manchester and like but god knows know. if it'll actually happen so we'll just wait and see hopefully this is all obviously England dependent as well yeah every other country in the UK is not sort of had anything said as yeah explicitly. it's, it's very easy, really yeah I think it's quite positive news or like some, it's something for me I take it as something to look forward to I know there's a lot of people that are quite like oh it's not gonna happen like don't get your hopes up nothing's gonna be you know there might not be everything open on the 21st of June but like I think it's really positive I'm really it gives me something to look forward to and especially like saying pubs are open on this day you can eat inside on this day and then we can go like just just being able to have that kind of date of like all restrictions will be kind yeah. of dropped on the 20 like that is something for me to look forward to so yeah, yeah. I also like it it's it is a decent amount of time away I don't feel like it's been as uh, yeah. much yeah so yeah, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm cautiously optimistic. I feel that's <laughs> my opinion. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm not um, cautiously. I'll be straight in that club. I know. Oh well, that, I'm hoping I can that grimy you and actually have a drink. <laughs> You'll be in the in the bar. <laughs> the bowl, I'm like I'm like mind sweeping everyone's um, Okay, so. <laughs> oh God, honestly, can't I wait swear for I it. Will. But, anyone listening you can't see a face but that's not a trustworthy face right now um okay so do you want to get into it then yes let's kick yeah. this off my muse this week 
is well, I'm going to say you you know Florence Nightingale. Yeah. So, do you know any anyone else from the Crimean War? No. You you mentioned someone I can't remember the name when you did uh, Doctor Barry. You I mentioned Florence Nightingale. Might, you oh, maybe yeah. Florence Nightingale, and you said there's also someone else. I'm not going to name it on Ruin Your Thunder, but you mentioned like that there was someone else you might do. And if that's yeah. who it is, this is exciting because I actually had never heard of this person. So it is this, it is is this cool. person. Okay, go on. Yeah, I'm um, excited. I'm going to sit back so, with my coffee and listen. Uh, yeah, so Florence Nightingale is one of the really celebrated um, nurses from the Crimean War. She revolutionised a lot of nursing practices out in the war in Crimea. However, one person who has massively, massively been erased from that is um, a woman called Mary Seacole, and she was a black woman born in Jamaica in 1805. She's a black mother who everywhere is kind of unnamed, um, and a Scottish army officer father called James Grant. So she was born Mary Ann Grant. She was born free because of her dad being in the Scottish army, but still um, didn't have many civil rights because so they couldn't vote couldn't hold public office and obviously couldn't enter any professions so in uh in Kingston Mary's mother ran a boarding house called Blundell Hall which was very respected by the public in Kingston but she was also a healer and taught Mary many of her skills uh using traditional Jamaican medicine and it's quite sweet actually the descriptions of Mary say that she used to practice the medicine on like her dolls her dogs and cats and sometimes on oh. herself so she was really interested in learning and practicing so by age 12 in 1818 she was helping her mother to run the boarding house and many of the guests were sick and injured soldiers there three years later she traveled to England to stay with her brother and study some western medicine as well and then continued to travel around the world over the next few years. So she visited Cuba, Haiti, and the Bahamas as well, before returning to Kingston in 1825. In November 1836, she married a man called Edwin Horatio Seacole, and they set up a store at somewhere called Black River, um, Mm -hmm. which I assume is near Kingston or in Kingston. But soon after Edwin became quite unwell and Mary had to nurse him for the rest of his life and he died in 1844 so only like well that's like eight years after they got married Mm -hmm. Um, shortly after that her mother died as well so like Mary was absolutely devastated that's horrible one after the other I know bless Mary continued to travel and in 1851 she joined her brother in Panama where they opened another hotel and she nursed and saved her first cholera patient there and gained a lot of knowledge of the disease. She even caught the disease herself but recovered. And then after the way she treated this cholera patient, she received a lot of praise for how she treated the disease and returned to Jamaica in 1853 because there was an outbreak of yellow fever. And so she was invited back by the medical authorities to supervise the nursing services at the British Army headquarters in Kingston. And she decided to rebuild her mother's hotel, Blundell Hall, and kind of repurpose it as a hospital. So she'd have all the um, British soldiers there to kind of convalesce. So it says she felt kind of motherly to these soldiers. And that's kind of a 
I think that's repeated a lot throughout her life and people kind of talking about her is that she was a very motherly figure, despite the fact that she didn't have any children. So soon after that, she travelled to London again, where she heard about the conditions in Crimea due to the war and how awful they were. Disease was really, really rife. And she applied to the war office to travel to the Crimea to help, citing that she had significant knowledge of diseases excellent references and even knew some of the British soldiers having treated them all in Jamaica already. But she was refused by everyone, even one of Florence Nightingale's assistants apparently, which she put down to the fact that she was black. So quite sad because she's like, I've got great references. (laughs) Ridiculous when it's like she's got all this like actual experience and that's the reason. It's just bullshit. (laughs) Okay. Sounds quite similar to the job market today. Like yeah. you need to have like 10 years of experience and 23 <laughs> references and you still can't get a job yeah um, yeah exactly yeah. and then yeah being a black woman just definitely doesn't even help that as well no That's exactly just, oh right so she's not looking out on the going straight over front then. no but she was yeah. still very determined and she decided mm-hmm. to fund her own trip to the Crimea because she was desperate to get there and help Um, Mm. So a relative of her husband's called Thomas Day was traveling to the Crimea to a place called Balaclava and they went together and set up a company called Seacole and Day so that it would seem more legit because obviously she wasn't allowed to go as an official nurse. Mm -hmm. They established a general store but more importantly she set up something called the British Hotel in 1855 which was near the city of Sevastopol which was at the time under siege by the Allies and the Allies um, in the Crimean War were Britain, France, Sardinia and the Ottoman Empire. So if you don't know the Crimean War, kind of like the big events, um, so it was there that things like the Charge of the Light Brigade happened and the Thin Red Line, which are two very, they're they're famous events from the Crimean War that that were memorialised in art. So the Charge of the Light Brigade was memorialised um, in a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Mm-hmm. And Thin Red Line was memorialised in a painting by Robert Gibb. So um, right. the um, Charge of the Light Brigade, just a little bit of background here, was a, a failed military operation where the Light Brigade, which is British kind of light cavalry, led by Lord Cardigan. And then it said that there was another man called Lord Raglan involved in this so I like <laughs> to think there was like a Lord Crop Chop somewhere <laughs> just like oh, in the background God. like hey hey I'm here hey <laughs> I'm gonna hug back <laughs> yeah so uh these light cavalry sorry good joke for me <laughs> um so yeah they were led by Lord Cardigan and they were sent in to try and prevent the Russians from removing captured guns at the Battle of Balaclava However, there was a miscommunication and the cavalry were sent into a full frontal attack against a different artillery force who had a great position and they were instantly under direct cannon fire. So when I was tutoring um, in September-ish, I had to teach this bit and um, I looked at some diagrams for it and it was basically like, if you can imagine like um, like a valley between like really, really steep yeah. hills, it's like they're yeah. walking into the valley and then the enemy are on these hills just like oh my pew, god pew, pew, like shooting down on them uh so great so bit of a mistake there then yeah oh massive just mistake slightly. um mm. 
So they were all very, very much slaughtered, but their quote-unquote heroism was obviously celebrated by... Are you laughing at me? <laughs> was it my... They were obviously slaughtered for all the quote-unquote heroism. Well, both really were. So you went, they were slaughtered. And then I was trying to laugh because you were serious, so I was just letting you get on with it. But <laughs> I've been called out now, so... Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, what was I saying? Um, oh. They were very heroic uh, in the fact that they uh, were told that they had to face the army or die, die trying. Basically, the, the kind of general theme for a lot of these attacks was uh, die where you stand or survive. Mm. That was what they were told by all their um, their officers, which is great. So obviously then that's, great obviously, orders, yeah. that's why um, Tennyson wrote the poem about them celebrating them. Mm. Um, because they didn't have like war correspondence really. They had like the first war correspondent during the Crimean War. So in order to kind of not have people's spirits completely in the gutter that they're losing the war in Crimea terribly. They like Tennyson wrote a poem about it. And then so the thin red line was mm. um another situation. So Russians were trying to get to Balaklava where there was a siege and a Highland regiment of about 500 men with um I think it's like a hundred walking wounded and a small Turkish force faced about 2,500 Russians. And so they formed what they what is called the thin red line. So they had like a a line, but it was only two men deep. And the standard is you're you were supposed to have four men deep. So they had like right. half the amount of men. And a uh, hundred of them were walking wounded already. So yeah, this is the yeah, point so where they were they were told to die notch. where they stood um, because there was no deserting. And they kind of fired two volleys and tried to counter charge and the Russians turned back so again their heroism is celebrated it was a bit rubbish in the Crimean War yeah. Um, yeah it's like that's not even you can't even fathom it and then it's like well just stand there and, and fight for your honour it's like well you're not even getting to fight for yourself or anything you're yeah, just being slaughtered. yeah this is just, yeah it's just so futile and pointless yeah this is the war where like as many people died from awful conditions in the camps and like the awful like conditions in the nursing base as there mm. was from actual fighting. So <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, back to Mary Seacole. So she's now 50. She's in Crimea and she's there with something called a sutler, which is someone who follows the army places to sell the troops provisions rather than in like a formal nursing position so her hotel the british hotel that she set up provided a resting place for sick and recovering soldiers as conditions in the crimea were terrible as you said before um, i mentioned in my james barry one about how he went to the crimea and berated florence nightingale for the conditions so yeah not great um, but Mary yeah. would regularly be at the front lines helping to transfer patients and care for them. So she was like right in the middle of it all. There were like bullets raining down and she was there just like, come on, dearie, come back to the hotel. So she was, oh, she was a good woman. Yeah, as I said before as well, she was kind of very motherly and um, she's actually called Mother Seacole by a lot of the, the soldiers there because she was very 
gentle and mm-hmm. kind and looked after them all. It's probably exactly so, what they all wanted. Like they stood there. They probably just want the mums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuck literally. in all that. So yeah, the Florence Nightingale is is the kind of main like mainly celebrated nurse from this time, but actually Mary Seacole's hospital was much closer to the front lines and she was just as well known in Britain as Nightingale was at the time. So I I don't know why. You can only put it down to the fact that she was a black woman, that she was completely forgotten about. Mm. Um, so after the war, she returned to England and she was completely destitute um, because she'd used all of her personal savings to fund her venture to the Crimea. And as she was running the general store and she was kind of operating as a settler as well, she had lots of provisions and supplies that she could no longer like sell. So she basically just mm-hmm. lost a lot of money from that. So some of the army doctors regarded her work as a nurse as a bit of a sham um, because she didn't really have any formal training, despite helping considerably. But others really greatly admired her because she was right there at the front lines in the freezing coldness and the soldiers. And this first modern war correspondent, W.H. Russell, he described her as a warm and successful physician who doctors and cures all manners of men with extraordinary success. She is always in attendance near the battlefield to aid the wounded and has earned many a poor fellow's blessing. So, you know, glowing reviews. Yeah, I feel like they're the people that matter more as well. It's like the people she's actually treating rather than yeah. other doctors who are like, oh, she's not officially trained. It's like, well, if she's, you know, that in that high amount of standing with like the soldiers, then they're the ones who matter more. Yeah, definitely. In my opinion. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So once back in England, soldiers wrote to the newspapers praising her. And in 1857, a fundraising gala was organised for her over four nights on the banks of the River Thames. And it was attended by over 80,000 people. So it goes to show that she was really well. Um, There were a thousand performers, which is lovely. It's so sweet that like that many people turned out for her. That's mad. 80,000. Yeah, 80,000 people. that's bad that's like so cool like yeah absolutely insane I know <laughs> the same year she published her memoirs which are entitled the wonderful adventures of Mrs Seacole in many lands it sounds like it should be written by like I've forgotten the <laughs> name of the guy but um you know it sounds like it's great adventure it's very novel. whimsical yeah yeah like, um, it's like a like a it's like, like Alice in Wonderland or something yeah literally yeah so that was a bestseller when it came out, um, which, again, I, I assume would have got her a fair bit of money, which is nice. So mm-hmm. Russell, the war correspondent, prefaced her memoirs as well. And he said, I trust that England will not forget one who nursed her sick, who sought out her wounded to aid and succour them, and who performed the last offices for some of her illustrious dead. So a lovely kind of... Mm like preface for the book but also you know quite ironic now so she was awarded a Crimea medal and a bust was made of her by Queen Victoria's nephew who was also a sculptor but unfortunately um after she died in 1881 she was completely forgotten about for around 100 years and then a group of Caribbean nurses came to visit her grave in northwest London and the local MP Lord Clive Soley promised to raise money for a statue of Mary so if we think that was maybe in like 
sparked the crowd to fight when she looked at the bystanders and shouted, why don't you guys do something? And after an officer picked her up and put her in the back of the wagon, the crowd became a mob and went berserk, quote. And I've got a quote here that says, it was at that moment that the scene became explosive. And some people have referred to that woman as the gay community's Rosa Parks, is the quote. Oh, cool. Um, So... That woman's identity is up for debate, but she has been identified by some, including herself, as Stormy Delavery. And so the debate over the quote, who threw the first brick at Stonewall um, or spurred on the riots is eternal. But if Stormy was the first butch lesbian who scuffled with the police, then they were the spark that ignited the Stonewall riots, basically spurring the crown into action. So we're going to assume that it was Stormy and I'm going to tell you the story. I'm also going to point out like right here at the top that there's a lot of discussion online over which pronouns to use in reference to Stormy and by the end of their life they used he him predominantly but in every article I read it was like she her and so to save any debate or confusion or blatant misgendering from here on out I'm just going to stick with they them even if it's not necessarily correct and if it isn't I'm sorry but that's what I'm going with for this just to sort of try and keep it neutral because I'm not entirely sure what's correct or what you know they would say was correct so I'm going with they them so whether they were the one who started Stonewall Riots or not either way they had a really cool life and I'm going to tell you all about it so are you ready let's go here we go so <laughs> so Salavari was born in New Orleans in Louisiana in 1920 Their mother was African-American and worked as a servant for their white father's family. And according to Stormy, they were never given a birth certificate. And so they were not certain of their actual date of birth. So they celebrated their birthday on December 24th. Um, And as a child, Stormy faced bullying and harassment and they realised they were a lesbian near the age of 18. So... Stormy was always a performer and they rode jumping horses with the Ringling Brothers Circus when they were a teenager and only stopped riding horses after being injured in a fall. And from 1955 to 1969, Delavery toured the Black Theatre Circuit as an MC and the only drag king of the Jewel Box Review, which was North America's first racially integrated drag review. So I'd never heard of that before researching Stormy and when I started sort of looking at what it was it's really interesting so I'm going to tell you a bit about it basically because I just thought it was interesting so just go along on this tangent with me let's do it (laughs) um okay so the jewel box review was established in 1939 which obviously during a time when gay people were viewed as abhorrent and like a threat to society and so it was two gay lovers Danny Brown and Doc Benner created and produced America's first racially inclusive traveling review of female impersonators or drag queens and it was staffed almost entirely by gay men and one gay woman and was known as the Jewel Box Review and in many ways it was America's first gay community and the first openly accepting place of gay people in America it's sort of discussed a lot as that so it's just really interesting and um Creating America's first gay community was not what Danny and Doc initially had in mind when they created the review. It was basically because they felt that vaudeville had um, sidelined female impersonation acts into little more than burlesque shows. And they were both really passionate about reviving drag as an art form. 
And so they intentionally catered the show to a heterosexual audience and they tried their best to be viewed as a legitimate entertainment show by locals and authorities to try and stay clear of any legal charges of sexual deviance. So they were trying to very much make drag like an art form and not just something that could be done like in the shadows and in secret, which it's just really cool. Basically, that was their aim. Yeah, they were really Um, passionate about it then. Really passionate, yeah. And like behind the protective spin of publicity it like can't be denied that the review fostered one of the first gay positive communities in america if not the first so even if it wasn't their like intention their intention was just to sort of elevate drag it like gave all these people a community basically so i thought i'd quote this article about it from um huffpost.com and so I'll just read this quote. Uh, it was a place where gayness was accepted before the concept of gay identity had even been fully conceived. Toby Marsh, who joined the review as a rebellious teenager in the late 1950s, viewed Danny and Doc not only as bosses, but as no-nonsense parental figures. Their overprotective nature agitated Toby at the time, but his agitation would later grow into a grudging respect, as Danny and Doc took great efforts to protect him and the other members of the review from the often brutal homophobic realities of life in the pre-Stonewall era. Aww. You know, they, they, yeah, like we were saying, like they were really passionate about drag, but they yeah. didn't realise that they were fostering that sort of community and then they protected everyone who was in that community so yeah I thought their names were worth mentioning because I'd never heard of them so Danny Brown yeah. and Doc Banner and this is the Jewel Box review is that is it Jewel as in like a Jewel or Jewel as in D-U-E-L <laughs> my lovely accent there Jewel as in like J-E-W-E-L like okay I was getting a bit confused I was like I should probably not like um Jewel commandments I was listening yeah. to that earlier. <laughs> okay, so on the website queermusicheritage.com, there is this program that introduces all the drag queens and like talks about the show and Stormy's described in it. So remember, like, so Stormy was in the the um, review from 1955 to 1969, a decent chunk of like their life. So this is, it says, quote, Miss Stormy DeLavery, the only girl with the Jewel Box review, has appeared as female vocalist with many named bands. Audiences would not believe she was a girl due to her deep baritone voice. It took the producers of the Jewel Box review to convince her that she should work as a male impersonator. Now Stormy says, I did it and I'm glad. <laughs> That's and it's surrounded by all these pictures of them, <laughs> did like, it. in drag. I, I did it. Um, you know, they were right, yeah. <laughs> we did it, Stormy. <laughs> Stop. You're obsessed with TikTok here. Like, little... <laughs> I just really like quoting things. Okay. Um, Have you not noticed uh, this? I, mean, I, I have things all this, the time. <laughs> but this is the this is like the podcast episode where it's really coming out to shine. And I'm amazed you didn't get Kira Knightley into that last uh, story. I know. I was like, how do I do There's it? There's time what yet. Happened? There's time yet. Maybe you can interject. I mean, you just got her in, so <laughs> actually I can. I can link it somehow. Uh in Collect, where Kira Knightley plays Collect, she falls in love with someone who uh is like I don't know if she's like she's not like a drag king but she's very very butch in uh French society and it's like there's lots of um homophobia in that and also this this person was like uh, an upper class woman they them she was a strong upper class they them in French society <laughs> so funny and Kieran Knight um, was amazing 
you're you the obsession lives on people okay so so the review regularly played the apollo theater in harlem um as well as to mixed race audiences something that was still really rare during this era of like racial segregation in the u.s that was actually just appealing to everyone which is really cool i thought this was funny during the shows audience members would try to guess who the one girl was among the review performers and at <laughs> the end stormy would reveal themselves as a woman during a musical number called a surprise with a song often wearing tailored suits and sometimes a mustache that made them unidentifiable to audience members so it's all these drag queens and then it's like oh it's me yeah. i'm the girl it's good uh, so as a singer stormy drew inspiration from dina washington and billy holiday both of whom they knew in person and during this era when there were very few drag kings performing the unique drag style and subversive performances became celebrated influential and are now known to have set a historic precedent so they were like the drag king that started this all, or at least was like kind of really recognized across the country. Um, in 1987, Michelle Parkinson released the first cut of the movie Stormy, the Lady of the Jewel Box about uh, Delava, I can't say the surname, about Stormy and their time with the review. The surname's like French and there's a certain way of pronouncing it. I really struggle with it. <laughs> I can't, don't know. Um, but yeah, so there's a movie basically out there if anyone wants to watch it about Stormy and like this whole part of the story. So uh, then in 1969, in June, Stonewall happened, which I obviously mentioned at the top. And uh, Somi was very clear that describing Stonewall as a riot was misleading. So they were like, it wasn't a riot. Quote, quote, says, it was a rebellion. It was an uprising. It was a civil rights disobedience. It wasn't no damn riot. So it was like, it wasn't just kind of like, rage being let yeah. out and just smashing yeah. shit up it was like actually fighting for their rights and i think that is lost that's why i tend to call stonewall stonewall uprising not stonewall riots but that's Very- what i'm using in this so i already told you what happened at the top of the episode if not google it um <laughs> not going into it again you don't know what so- stonewall is <laughs> google it <laughs> google it so lisa Canastrassi, who is a friend of stormy and owner of the village lesbian bar henrietta hudson said quote nobody knows who threw the first punch and it's rumored that she did and she said she did she told me she did there's lots of <laughs> she did there but yeah so like I say it's thought that stormy was the first person to throw that like first punch or the first person to shout that like line of you know like why are you not helping me like why yeah are you, you know there's also talk like marsha p johnson being the first person to throw the first yeah. brick and it being like drag queens and black drag queens and like it it could be anyone but the theory is that Stormy's the one who was being dragged away that spurred whoever that person was who sort of started it yeah through the first metaphorical brick spurred them on that's the story anyway so so whether you believe that it was them or not that's the story so yeah either way Stormy was there and they were one of several butch lesbians who fought back against the police during the uprising so that's like a fact Stormy's role in the gay liberation movement lasted long after the uprisings of 1969. In the 1980s and 1990s, they worked as a bouncer for several lesbian bars in New York City. They were a member of the Stonewall Veterans Association, holding the offices of Chief of Security, Ambassador, and in 1998 to 2000, they were Vice President of the Stonewall Veterans Association. And they were regular at the gay pride parade. So for decades, Stormy served the community as a volunteer street patrol worker, the quote, guardian of lesbians in the village. Um, And in 
their obituary in the New York Times, Stormy was described as, quote, tall, androgynous and armed. She held a state gun permit. Ms. Delavery roamed Lower 7th and 8th Avenues and points between into her 80s, strolling the sidewalks and checking in at lesbian bars. She was on the lookout for what she called ugliness, any form of intolerance, bullying or abuse of her baby girls. She literally walked the streets of downtown Manhattan like a gay superhero. She was not to be messed with by any stretch of the imagination. She was like Mother Seacole, but for the lesbians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the lesbian superhero. <laughs> the, the OG drag, drag king, like, so cool. Just like, bitch, oh. don't try. <laughs> I'm like, don't mess with my baby girls. So yeah, so in addition to Stormy's work for the LGBT community, they also organised and performed at benefits for battered women and children. And when asked about why they chose to do this work, they replied, somebody has to care. People say, why do you still do that? I said, it's very simple. If people didn't care about me when I was growing up with my mother being black, raised in the South, I said, I wouldn't be here. So. Aww. For several decades, Stormy lived at New York City's famous Hotel Chelsea, where they thrived on the atmosphere created by the many writers, musicians, artists and actors. And it's said that um, Stormy continued working as a bouncer until the age of 85. Oh, 85. Um, 85. In theory, yeah. The, and I've the cripped my neck putting my socks on this morning. <laughs> Goodness me. You're not the gay superhero of New York City. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is very true. <laughs> Not deal with it. With great so, power comes great responsibility. Um, in June 2019, Delavery was one of the inaugural 50 American pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes inducted on the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor within the Stonewall National Monument in New York City, Stonewall Inn. The Stonewall National Monument is the first US national monument dedicated to LGBTQ rights and history, and the wall's unveiling was timed to take place during the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Ooh. And yeah, so Stormy was one of the first 50 put on there. In their personal life, um, their partner, a dancer named Diana, lived with them for about 25 years until Diana died in the 1970s. Um, according to friend Lisa kind of Stracy, who I mentioned earlier, Stormy carried a photograph of Diana with them at all times. So Stormy also had a huge influence on fashion. So with the theatrical experience in costuming, performance and makeup, obviously Delavery was biracial and so they could pass as either a man or a woman and black or white, depending on how they oh. did their makeup and everything. Off stage, they caught a striking, handsome, androgynous presence and inspired other lesbians to adopt what had formerly been considered men's clothing as streetwear. So Stormy was photographed by renowned artist Diane Arbus, as well as other friends and lovers in the arts community in three-piece suits and men's hats. And they are now considered to have been an influence on gender non-conforming women's fashion decades before unisex styles have become accepted. So Nice. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you can just picture the, the kind of style and like obviously like women's tailoring became like such a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, with like I guess like it kind of probably co coincides with like the rise of the feminist movement of like women not having to or like fighting to not have to wear like you know heels to work which obviously is still continued up until very recently um and you know not having to wear dresses and stuff all the time and like to look smart like obviously YSL brought in like the the very tailored suit for women so I guess it probably ties into that as well yeah but, like as you said, came before. Yeah, you know, Stormy was a big trailblazer in like the drag community and 
fashion as well. Yeah. Cool. This bit just bummed me out, but basically Stormy suffered from dementia in their later years and from 2010 to 2014, they lived in a nursing home in Brooklyn. And though Stormy seemingly did not recognise that they were in a nursing home, their memories of their childhood and the Stonewall uprisings remain strong. And um, on the 7th of June 2012, Brooklyn Pride Incorporated honoured Stormy at the Brooklyn Society for Ethical Culture. And that's when the film I mentioned earlier, Michelle Parkinson's film Stormy, The Lady of the Jewel Box, was screened. And on the 24th of April 2014, Delafrey was honoured alongside Edith Windsor by the Brooklyn Community Pride Centre for their fearlessness and bravery and was also presented with proclamation from New York City public advocate Letitia James. And they died in their sleep on the 24th of May 2014 in Brooklyn. And although no immediate family members were alive at the time of their death, Lisa, who I've mentioned a few times, who was Stormy's friend, um, became one of their legal guardians near the end and stated that the cause of death was a heart attack. And they remember Stormy as a very serious woman when it came to protecting the people she loved. And a funeral was held on the 29th of May 2014 at the Greenwich Village Funeral Home. And that is the life story, summed up somewhat briefly, of my 10th muse this week, LGBTQ plus legend and trailblazer Stormy DeLavery. Gay superhero. Gay superhero of New York City. <laughs> Don't come for the baby girls. Don't hey. come for my baby girls. <laughs> Love it. Oh, she was so cool. Yeah. Bless. Also, like, Big can time. you imagine the, um, the, like, kind of fear and horror as she's being dragged away and like people aren't doing anything mm. they're having to you know shout like you know sc- the, the famous quote is that they shouted why don't you guys do something like why is no one doing anything like you've seen me be hit in the head with a baton I'm bleeding like we have this happen to us all the time stand up and do something and like in theory then Marsha P Johnson was like I got you and like yeah helped you know kick it off um but I mean there's so much debate about Stonewall and like what happened and like who started it and what was it and you know god only knows but the most prevalent theories is it was either Marsha P Johnson who you know was black or Stormy who was like mixed race so it's like either way you've got to just give it up for like you know it's the minorities in the LGBTQ community yeah. the minorities yeah. within the minority that like yeah. actually make the difference so I just yeah just Stormy was really cool so gay superhero of New York City we respect there we go but yeah yes. so confused this week I was excited about that one so yeah you could tell you you spoke really well on her thanks you're welcome but yeah it was good <laughs> the live studio audience approves. <laughs> <laughs> Single clap. <laughs> Little clap in the background. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, we will see you listeners next time. Yeah, Hopefully, we'll speak to you soon. Still semi regularly. This isn't too bad. There's only a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, we're just kind of <laughs> going. Like, we were going to record the, the other day or whatever, and then, like, we were both like ill and slept badly and like yeah. like I was ill through the night it was not fun mm. and then I was like yeah no it's not gonna happen no. and then you're still in shorthand hell which I oh yeah to escape. Oh, um god you're so yeah. close you can do it I'm so close I think me. I've got it I just need to like not be stupid and like write an outline wrong mm. and then like when I come to and then panic out, be like ah <laughs> I yeah. don't know what this word is 
yeah that, that was the so issue funny. last time was our words where we were like oh, what is that yeah. Say? <laughs> yeah yeah oh well yeah It'll okay well as always try give us some feedback on instagram or twitter or email us and if you have any suggestions for 10th muses for either of us or you think that one of us would like then let us know i'm all about the lgbt people and helena loves an author so get them sent over. An yeah yeah we'd love to hear them hope you enjoyed yeah. we used to come up with like a catchy like end of it like stay sexy don't get murdered <laughs> let's just steal that from karen and georgia <laughs> stay like, sexy no, don't we- get murdered Stay sexy and don't get murdered. And then just like, we like, no, we came up with that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's definitely. I awesome. know, I know. Copyright. Uh, Helena and Javon. I just forgot my own name. <laughs> Our sign off should be like, stay sexy and love Kira Knightley because that's all you want to do. Yes. I just stay sexy. something to do with Kira Knightley. <laughs> stay sexy, Kira Knightley. <laughs> all hail Kira Knightley. And then that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Kira Knightley, the Pirate King. Okay, let's Pirate King, Kira Knightley. <laughs> we'll come up with something. We'll brainstorm. We'll, we'll come up with something. <laughs> but anyway, till next time, guys. Bye. Stay sexy. <laughs> Kira Knightley. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs>